0: We're going to get right into our text today. We are continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to our passage. It is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. You've probably heard uh, this parable from Jesus before. It's titled, The Parable of the Sower. And trusting that you're there, may God bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. Growing up and increasing and yielding thirty fold and sixty fold and a hundred fold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Amen. The word of the Lord. Now, before we get into the passage, I want to share a brief word on what a parable is and how we should interpret them. This passage is one of Jesus' most well-known parables. Jesus actually uses about 46 in the Gospels. And this parable is special because it's one of the few that Jesus actually explains and unpacks for us. Now, the word parable literally means to throw alongside. And so a parable is a story placed alongside a truth that the speaker wishes their hearers to learn. Now, parables, they're not simply metaphors or allegories that if you study long enough, you can simply understand. It's not something that if you just look at it and think about it, you'll just figure it out on your own. The parables actually serve as filters, filters upon those who hear them, so that people have very different approaches, very different responses to the parables. Some are drawn in. Some are won over. Some are allured, but others are put off. Others can be disgusted. Others can be discouraged. There are different responses to the parables of Jesus. And this is intentional because they are a filter. The purpose of a parable isn't simply to teach doctrine. It's not simply to pass on head knowledge and information. Rather, the purpose is this. It's to draw you in closer. It's so that you would ask questions, that you would seek. It's to draw you nearer to the teacher and then also expose your heart. One theologian writes, and I love this quote. This is what he says about the parables. He says, The parables of Jesus are designed to test rather than to illuminate. And to test not the intelligence, but the spiritual responsiveness of his hearers. You guys get that? The the test that is going on when Jesus shares and teaches a parable, it's not of how smart you are and how much of the Bible you know or, or how educated you are. It's actually a test of your heart. And will you respond in faith to the speaker, to the Lord Jesus Christ? And this is what Jesus wants to do today. He wants to speak to your heart, not just fill you with more knowledge, not to just teach more doctrine. He wants to draw you nearer to himself. He wants to expose your heart, to show you his and invite you to come and follow him. Now, Jesus has already done the heavy lifting of explaining this parable to us. We see that the seed represents the word of God and the gospel. And the four soils represent the four different hearts that people have as they hear the gospel. We see hearts and soils rejecting Jesus or receiving Jesus and the word. And the sower is Jesus who has come to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. But I'd like to dig a little deeper for us today and look more closely at three things. First, we want to look at the work of the sower, the work of the sower. Second, we want to look at the signs of the good soil. Okay? And I think the second point is so important. How do we know our hearts are the good soil? Because that seems to be the goal for us. We don't want to be the hearts of, of thorny soil or rocky soil or, or hardened, paved, uh, just dirt road. We want to be good soil. And how do we know that that is true of us? Lastly, we want to look at the power of the seed. So first, the work of the sower. Next, the signs of the good soil. And lastly, the power of the seed. Now, if you come to my home, me and Alice, our apartment, our place right now is filled with a bunch of different plants, plants that have been gifted to us, plants that have been purchased for decoration, And we actually recently tried to actually plant some. Like, so, you know, we just go and buy from the store an already potted plant that is pretty and full of life. But we actually tried to plant a couple of, like, just from the seed, from the dirt, like, just from the, to be part of, like, the genesis of growing a plant. And so this is kind of, like, our our hope. And there are a couple herbs that hopefully we can uh, use in the kitchen. Now, there's a lot of things that Alice and I do well. She's a fantastic cook. I'm an okay golfer. And I can preach every once in a while. Uh, but horticulture is not either of our gifts. We joke that our home is the place where plants come to die, right? <laughs> this is the place where plants come to die. We've tried to grow basil, just dead, right? Like our, my mother-in-law, she always buys us orchids. And I'm like, don't do that. It's going to die, right? But every time she comes over, she brings an orchid. And I'm like, I'll give it two weeks, right? <laughs> Uh, We have other things that that we've tried to grow. and We couldn't even keep a succulent, okay? That's how bad we are. Succulents are like desert plants. They're like like the low-maintenance millennial plant. And then someone bought us succulents, and it's just like withered away. I was like, oh, my God. Plants come to die, right, at the Lee household. So we're really trying to do our best this time around, to keep these plants alive and especially grow these little seeds to bear fruit that we could enjoy in our kitchen. And if you've ever planted seeds, you'll actually see it's quite a work of faith. All we did was open the box, put the seeds in the soil, give them water, make sure they're in indirect sunlight, and wait to see if life will come. And we kind of check, and right now it's been like a month, nothing. Right now, I have no idea how long it's going to last. I'm just looking at it. It might just be like a, a box of dirt on our windowsill, and, and maybe I'll just have to tap out. Um, well, in our passage today we see that the the sower is just throwing seed throughout his land, all over the place, almost like indiscriminately throwing and sowing seed. And it falls on all types of soil in hopes that the seed will grow to bear fruit. And the seed falls on four different types of soil, the hard path, the rocky soil, among thorns, and on good soil. Now, many people, when interpreting this passage, they go immediately to the soils. And they they tell us that our hearts need to be like the good soil where the seed will grow and bear fruit. Now that interpretation is not wrong, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete today. If that's all you get from this passage, that your heart needs to be good soil so that when you hear the gospel, it's gonna bear fruit, it's incomplete because if we only focus on our hearts, you miss the work of the sower. If you only focus on yourself, You miss the work of the Lord, the heart of our Lord. One commentator, James Edwards, this is what he writes about the truth of this passage. The parable represents the inbreaking of God's kingdom in Jesus. The sower of the gospel, the astounding harvest, that 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, that is an important clue that the growth is not owing to human activity, but to God's providential power. God is at work, hidden and unobserved in Jesus and the gospel to produce a yield wholly disproportionate to human prospects and merit. Do you see that? Have you ever studied this passage and considered the work of God, the providence of God, the power of God? And the the sad truth is most of us haven't. We study this passage and we just think about ourselves. And look at ourselves, and we make it about ourselves, but this is wholly about God and how he is able to produce in disproportionate amounts of fruit, of life, and power in otherwise just poor and terrible conditions. Think about this, brothers and sisters. How has Jesus, the sower, sowed the seed of the gospel? Has he only sowed it, and has he only preached it to the good and the righteous? Has he just looked for good soil and said, I'm just gonna plant it there? Has he only gone to those who would accept him, to those he knew would love him and follow him? No, he's preached the gospel of the kingdom to all who have ears to hear. He's preached to the sinner. He's preached to the tax collector. He's proclaimed the gospel of grace to the sick and the demon-possessed, to the fishermen And the Pharisee. Why? Because he longs for all to come to repentance. You see, some of us read this passage and we think the sower is irresponsible for throwing it in in places we think are futile. We think, man, sower, Jesus, why would you waste the seed on a hard path? Why would you waste the seed? on the rocky soil. Don't you see the thorns? Why would you throw seed there? Don't you see it's futile? Don't you see it'll never bear fruit there? And so we actually judge the sower for actually trying. We judge the sower for his tactics and his lack of wisdom and his lack of shrewdness. But the parable shows us this. The very people you and I would count out from being good soil. God does not. Do you see that? The very people you and I would judge and say they have no chance. That guy for sure, rocky soil. That guy for sure, thorny path. That girl is for sure unworthy of the seed, the gospel, the grace of God. They're never gonna respond. In our own minds, we categorize ourselves or we categorize others as the different types of soil. We know prideful, stubborn people And we say, those people are the Pharisees. They are the hard path. We've met temperamental, flaky people who are always on spiritual highs and spiritual lows. And we think, man, that is exactly the type of person Jesus is talking about when he's describing the rocky soil that will never remain faithful to God. We've judged others as superficial and worldly. And we label them as soil among thorns. But what does Jesus say about entering into the kingdom of God? With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so the sower shows us the heart of Christ. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. So church, know this. The power of the gospel has proven throughout the entirety of the scriptures, throughout human history, as powerful and mighty enough to convert Pharisees, to save kings, to redeem harlots, every type of sinner that you and I would categorize as unfit, ill soil. Oh, those are the people that God is able to save. Those are the people that God is able to redeem. You see, church, you and I, we don't know who the good soil is. We think we know. We think we know who the good soil is, but the reality is, We do not, but God does. So what shall we do? Imitate the work of the sower. That's what we are called to do. We must not calculate and discriminate who we share the gospel with. Remember the words of God when he spoke to the the prophet Samuel. When Samuel was second-guessing, why, why should this runt of the family, David, become the next king of Israel? God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Can any of us truly see one another's hearts? We can't. And so we should not discriminate on where we expend and share the word of God, the grace of God, the gospel of God. No, only God knows the heart. Only he sees hearts. Only he knows who the good soil are. So brothers and sisters, share the gospel. Spread the gospel everywhere. And to anyone who has ears to hear, to people that you may think are terrible soil because they may turn into the most fruitful Christian you have ever seen because the gospel is the power of God and to salvation. Now, I am not saying everyone is good soil, okay? Jesus is very clear that that is not the case. Three out of the four soils are bad. And I'm not telling you to just believe in the potential of the human spirit, okay? That would be humanistic. That would be naive. That would be rhetoric. Just believe in, in the goodness and the possibilities and the potential of people. No, you know what Jesus does? He does not trust in the hearts of men. He knew what's in the hearts of men, and he didn't entrust himself over the hearts of men, right? So I'm not saying everyone is good soil. Three out of the four soils, they reject the gospel. They reject Jesus. Those are terrible odds, right? 75%. But even against those odds, God is able to produce an amazing harvest. Despite all of the opposition, despite all of the rejection, the work of God we see in the parable of the sower is unstoppable. And the sower has the final word. His work is not futile. His crop yields a harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. This is the work of the sower. This is the heart of Jesus. Next, let's look at the signs of the good soil. The signs of the good soil. Now, I've argued that we cannot prejudge who the good soil is. But now I want to show you that you and I can actually see signs of the good soil. And I I hope you catch the nuance. You and I, we can't prejudge who the good soil is. So we should sow the seed of the gospel to everyone and anyone who can hear. But that doesn't mean we can never know who the good soil is. We're never going to know, and so just, eh, right? Um, We can actually see signs of the good soil. You see, the question that arises from this parable is, how can we become the good soil? We don't want to be among thorns or the rocky path or the hardened path, but how we want to know, how can we know, or how can we be the good soil? Now, the superficial way you and I will try to answer this is by telling ourselves and telling others, don't love the world, don't be prideful, don't be stubborn, and when persecution comes, do not be shaken. Right, you guys remember that youth group song, not be shaken. You just be stand firm, right? keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, remain faithful to God. That's what we're going to say. And then you will keep yourself from being all of the other soils and you will be the good soil. Don't love the world, right? Don't be discouraged. Don't be shaken. Just follow and be faithful to God and you will be good soil. But I want to tell you, that's not enough. Because if that is your prescription for being the good soil, that's just being moral. That's just being religious. That's just better behavior and behavior modification. You see, the parable of the sower is a perfect illustration of the gospel because it reminds us that the work of God, it's an organic work that happens inside out. Okay? It is an organic work that occurs from the inside out. It is not mechanical where you and I follow rules and we do works in order to receive the gospel and bear fruit. Okay? That's the dichotomy here. Organic versus mechanical. Gospel versus just being religious. Grace versus works. One pastor used a great illustration and it's the difference between seeds and bricks. Seeds and bricks. What happens if you take a brick and you plant it in soil and you throw water in it? Is it gonna grow anything? The answer is no. The only thing it'll grow is mold and rot, right? The only way you can grow a brick and make it increase is you gotta throw and stack more bricks on top of it. Well, brothers and sisters, that is works. That is being religious. The gospel is not a brick. The gospel is not a brick. It is a seed. It is a seed that contains the power of life in it. The gospel is the power of God. And you see, when you take a seed and you plant that seed in good soil, what does it do? It grows organically from the ground up into a br- beautiful fruit-bearing tree. You don't have to stack seed upon seed upon seed to get a tree. No, you just plant one seed in the ground and you watch it grow. Because the seed has life. The brick, has, it is an inanimate object. So back to the question. What are the signs of the good soil? The heart of this passage is found in verses 10 to 12. Let's go back to the text. Verses 10 to 12, that's the heart of this passage. Mark tells us what happens after Jesus tells the parable. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting directly from Isaiah 6, and he's talking about Israel and the hardness of heart. You see, Jesus, he was preaching to a great crowd by the sea, a great crowd by the sea. His fame had spread all throughout Israel, all throughout Galilee, because he was healing and he was doing miracles. So many had gathered for that spectacle, but in this scene, there are no miracles. No miracles are performed. There are no um, exorcisms. There's no healing. He's not feeding thousands of people. What does Jesus do? He just teaches. He sits on a boat and he teaches, teaches about the kingdom of God, and he gives parables. And after his teaching, the crowd disperses. You see, in other places, after Jesus does miracles, the crowd won't leave. The crowd is like hunting him down all throughout the night. But when Jesus, all he does is teach about the gospel of the kingdom, he's finished and they leave. They leave. But later that day, and this is where we have, verse 10, we have a small group of people who have drawn near to Jesus. They're with the disciples. They're with the disciples. And they ask, Jesus, what was that parable about? What does it mean? What are you talking about when you say the kingdom of God? What are you talking about when you're talking about seeds and sowers and soil? You see, for those who truly heard Jesus, not just with their ears, but with their hearts, They entered into a relationship with him. They followed him. They drew near to him and they asked him to explain this parable to them. Brothers and sisters, this is the first sign of the good soil, okay? This is the first sign of the good soil. A fertile heart hears Jesus and longs for more. A fertile heart hears Jesus and longs for more. Is that true of you? How many times have you heard a sermon about the gospel and you're like, that's good, amen. I'm gonna go just the rest of my life. Let's go get some, like, you know, tacos, and got to go to work. Do some homework, whatever it might be. You, you feel like you've had your fill. That was good, right? I laughed. Pastor Michael told a couple jokes, a little bit of like thought provocation. Got the feels because the the closing song was great. And you've had your fill, and you go on with the rest of your life, brothers and sisters. That is not the mark of fertile soil. The heart that God is looking for. The heart that is good soil, fertile soil, hears Jesus and longs for more. The fertile heart seeks after him. The fertile heart longs more than just the teachings of Jesus, the doctrines of Jesus, the gifts of Jesus. A fertile heart wants a relationship with Jesus. It's a heart that wants to go deeper with the sower. So now I can ask you, which are you? Are you a disciple? or are you a member of the crowd? Do you seek Jesus? Are you looking for him or just looking for him to do something for you, to perform for you, to impress you? Or will you seek him for who he truly is? Will you long for a deeper relationship with him? You see, only when you are deeply rooted in Christ Only when you truly love him and follow him for who he is, will you then be able to resist the temptations of Satan, turn away from the allure of the world and persevere through hardship and suffering. You see, all of those threats, all of those distractions, all of the concerns that we have about being the other three soils that are bad, the the soils we don't wanna be, those are all assuaged. Those are all dealt with by a personal intimate relationship with Jesus. You see, when you love Jesus, that's a greater love than than any love that this world can offer you. When you are secure and held safe in the hands of our God, then when trials, suffering, and persecutions come, you can be that man who built his house on a rock and not on sand. If you're looking for merely the blessings and gifts of God, you'll be like the crowd and your faith will be shallow and superficial. The moment you experience suffering and loss, you'll tell yourself that God isn't real. The moment you lose your job, or you lose your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or you experience persecution and mocking for your faith, you'll think, man, God, God has abandoned me. A loving God would never allow me to suffer like that. That's rocky soil the moment when your faith doesn't feel dynamic and relevant anymore, the moment you don't feel that that spiritual satisfaction, those highs that you had when you went on your mission trip or at that retreat, the moment those things don't do it for you anymore, you'll be tempted to look for worldly success, approval, and riches to satisfy you. That's the thorny soil. Let me give you an application that's really connected to interpretation. Mark, he actually gives us an amazing grammatical clue. And I think everyone's like, grammar, oh my gosh, right? But when I read this and I studied this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic, okay? He gives us an amazing grammatical clue of what good soil looks like. You see, when Jesus, in the second half of our story, when he's actually explaining the parable in the four soils, he talks about people hearing the word. For those who hear the word, and he, for each person, they hear the word, and then he shares the response. For the first three soils, the verb Mark uses for hearing, it's in the past tense. In Greek, it's called the aorist, right? The aorist tense in the Greek, and it connotes something done simply and something done finally. Okay, it took place in the past, and it's done. It is finished. But in verse 20, when Jesus is describing that fourth soil, a different kind of hearing is implied. Not something in the past tense, not the aorist tense, but Jesus says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. You see, the verb Jesus uses for the fourth soil, it's not in the past. It's suddenly replaced by the present tense. And he's signifying this ongoing, continual hearing of God, hearing of the word, hearing of the gospel, as opposed to this careless, inattentive, past tense hearing. Brothers and sisters, this is the mark of the good soil in the heart of a disciple. There is an ongoing, responsive relationship to Jesus. Are you a spiritual has-been? Is your relationship a thing of the past? Do you come to church because many years ago, you experienced God and you were convinced that God is real, that Jesus is the son of God, and this is how you have to live from now on? If that is you, And your relationship, your hearing, your sensibility to God, his word and the gospel is past tense. I want to warn you that you might be one of the three soils that ultimately reject Jesus. Because this fourth soil, the soil that bears fruit, is this ongoing, life-giving, relational hearing and abiding in Jesus. We must constantly hear him in his word, receive him as he is, and bear fruit in his name by his power. This is how we go deep with Christ. Not with one just blast of spiritual dynamite to change us once and for all. There's too many of us that want that, just that one great moment. Brothers and sisters, that is not how we go deep with Jesus. Rather, it is day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision to walk with him and follow after him. C.J. Mahaney, one of my favorite pastors, and I've shared this before, he wrote a small book called The Cross-Centered Life. And in the introduction, he said simply this, the cross-centered life is marked by cross-centered days. Okay. The cross-centered life is marked by cross-centered days. Are you the good soil? Finally, let's look at the power of the seed, the power of the seed. Now, you and I would rarely associate a seed as something powerful. It's so small, it seems insignificant. We eat them, I'm thinking about like chia seeds and stuff like that. Uh, We discard them like watermelon seeds. we just split them out and we easily crush them. But inside a seed is the power of life. Think about this, a single acorn can grow into a mighty tree that then bears thousands of other acorns. And with the help of a couple squirrels, right, um, that that tree has the potential to blanket an entire forest. One acorn, one tree, bunch of squirrels, forest, right? (laughs) It just needs the opportunity. Gold can't do that. Gold can't multiply itself. A diamond can't do that. And yet our culture, we treasure those things. Those things are lifeless. They're inanimate. They're lifeless. But a seed can multiply. A seed has life in it. And it can bear fruit. That is 30, 60, 100 fold. And in John chapter 12, Jesus tells us, he's not just the sower. He's the ultimate seed. And as he begins to prepare his disciples for his death on the cross, he says in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, and this is when Jesus is saying, for real, for reals, right? I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Beloved church, this is the glory of, this is the glory of Jesus. He says, my time to be glorified has come. But the glory of Jesus is not found in the crowd. It's not found in the praise of men. It's not found in the riches and power of this world. The glory of Jesus is demonstrated through his death on the cross. That is Jesus glorified. That is Jesus's power displayed. It is through the cross we see the power of the seed found in the death of the sower. Let me say that again. The power of the seed is found in the death of the sower. And as Jesus gave up his life on the cross, his death brought all of us, all who would call upon his name, life. That's the fruit. And Jesus' fruit has multiplied more than 30, 60, 100 times over. There are many of you here today who look at your lives. You examine your hearts and you believe you're not good soil. You do. Our generation is so quick to self-condemn, so prone to self-loathing. You see the hardness of your hearts. You see the frailty of your faith. You're like, gosh, Lord, forgive me. I'm so wishy-washy, right? Everything I wanna do, I don't do. Everything I do, it's not what, what I want to do. That's not how a disciple should live. And you say, Lord, have mercy on me. You look at your heart, you look at your affections and you see that so much of yourself is given over to the world and you don't believe God can redeem you. Even more so, you're like, maybe Jesus by his blood can save me, but you don't believe God can use you. When Jesus says, if, if his seed, if his life, his truth is planted in your heart, that he will bear 30, 60, 100 fold of fruit. You're like, not me. I can never be used by God for the kingdom in that manner. I can't even bless my friends. I can't even bless my family. I'm not a blessing in the workplace or even to my own church. How can I bear that kind of fruit? And so we count ourselves out. Brothers and sisters, you know what? The power of God is not in the soil. The power of God is not in your hearts. The power of God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God is in his ability to work in you and to bear much fruit. Don't believe in yourself, don't believe in your gifts, but believe in Christ Who's able to do miraculous, amazing kingdom works in and through you? Believe in him. Today, if you harden, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Would you seek him? Would you long to go deeper with him? Would you experience him and his life in you? That's the invitation. Jesus is the sower. His seed is the gospel may we be fertile soil today let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for your son jesus christ who spoke in parables so that we that we would be compelled to seek you to draw near to you to depend on you lord Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here today. Would you look at our hearts as chaotic, as fractured, as wounded as our hearts may be. I pray that in our hearts there would be fertile soil where you would come, come into our hearts, renew us, and give us life again. Help us to believe in your love for us. Help us to believe in the power of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And God, may we leave this place not just satisfied with an hour of worship. May we leave this place with longing to get to know this great sower who did not count us out but shared his life, who gave his seed for us. Lord, may we respond with faith. May we respond with dependence, Lord. May we believe again that you can use broken vessels such as us. May you bear fruit in our lives for your kingdom and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray.